we're thankful that, that he can pay it back to us a little bit by, by coming here this morning. So I just want to encourage you, encourage our brother as he preaches. Let's get full on charismatic. Let's, I want to hear the amens. I want to hear the hallelujah. Praise the Lord as he preaches. But let's enjoy the preaching of God's word this morning. Over to you, brother. Out you go. <laughs> Thank you, Brendan, uh, for those kind words. Um, even before I begin, I just want to say thank you to Sovereign Grace Warunga as well. Um, on behalf of Sovereign Grace Parramatta, you know, you guys sent us out with 30 people or so, and now, you know, we're flourishing by God's grace that, you know, we could serve in partnership like this, and um, we are just so thankful for all of you and how you serve our church through prayer, um, through just various different ways of how we do uh, and run the race together. So thank you on behalf of Sovereign Grace Parramatta. Well, Today I'm going to be preaching on uh, Psalm 145, but before I do that, why don't I uh, pray and then we'll get straight into it. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are God. We thank you that you are for us. We thank you that you provide us this time where we can hear your words. And Lord, we pray that your words that are spoken today would not return empty, that it will accomplish what you purpose it for it to do, that it will succeed in the things that you want it to succeed in. So, Father, may you plant your words in the hearts of your people here today, all for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't we start by reading Psalm 145. That's today's passage. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations." The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. 
The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I want to start off by sharing with you a quote um, that I really, really love. It's a quote by a uh, preacher that you might know quite well. His name is Charles Spurgeon. And this is his quote. He says this, Praise is the beauty of a Christian. What wings are to a bird, what fruit is to the tree, what the rose is to the thorn, that is praise to a child of God. Like, isn't this quote spot on? Like, I mean, what makes a bird so beautiful is that its wings spread out soaring above the sky. Can you imagine a bird without any wings? It's not doing what it's created to do. And in the same way, what about a tree without any plants? Can you imagine a tree uh, without any plants, without any fruit? Can you imagine a tree without any fruit? Like it's not doing what God created it for it to do. It's not beautiful. And in the same way, we have a rose with just its thorn. What about its red, vibrant rose uh, petals that are on it? Without it, it just doesn't look beautiful. And in the same way, we as Christians, we as children of God, we are here to praise God. That's what makes us beautiful. When we look to him and praise him and declare his holy name, that's what makes us beautiful. But friends, if only we could say that that's how we respond every day. Every moment of our lives, regardless of how high the moment is or how low, if only we could say we always praise God regardless of the circumstances. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. It's hard. You know, perhaps, you know, after this Sunday, hearing a message on praise, you're pumped up, and you wake up the next morning on a cold, chilly morning, and you're thinking, all right, I heard that I need to be praising God but it's cold and you get out of bed and you already realize as you step out into the room that you've got your two kids, three kids or so that have already made a mess in your lounge room. It's like a bomb's gone off and you're thinking, how am I to praise? And you think, can it get any worse? Well, it does. Because as you step out, and I'm sure parents will know this, as you step out, you feel this sharp, pain on your leg, foot, just going up to your spine and you realize as you pick up what you've stepped on, piece of Lego, right? (laughs) Parents, you know what what it feels like, right? How hard is it to praise God in those moments, right? Or perhaps uh, you're heading to work. You realize all the chaos at home, you're running late, you've got five minutes, your train's coming, you've got a meeting that you have to attend, you're running as fast as you can, you're sweating, you get to the train station and the first thing you hear is that noise. I think it still goes like this, ding, 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 ding. I don't know, first train to town hall has been delayed by approximately 45 minutes and you're like, (sighs) right, can it get any worse? Well, it does. 
because once you get in, there's another 50 passengers in the same area as you. And I'm sure you've felt this before. You've got this guy who doesn't know that he's breathing really heavily and he's breathing on your neck, right? You've all felt that before in that crammed train and you're thinking, how? Oh, I need to be praising God in those moments. Well, perhaps you're a mum at home wiping the juice off the ground for the third time. While you're doing that, you've got your son over here asking, Mum, where's my school socks? Where's my school socks? Perhaps you've got your other daughter in the toilet who's just finished her number two. This is our house, really. Number two. And uh, she is calling out to my wife, Mum, I'm finished, I'm finished, I'm finished, I'm finished. In those moments, how hard it is to be praising God. Just one last example I want to give because I'm sure there are students here You've already had three hours of lectures. You had a presentation and that presentation didn't go too well. And you've just had a rough day. And some of your friends come towards the end of the day and they're like, hey, what a tough day it was. Let's go. Let's go have a drink. Let's go have some good food. But you have to say no. Because you know that you have an assignment due tomorrow that you should have started a month ago. But now it's due tomorrow. So you've got an all-nighter to do. In those moments, isn't it so hard? In fact, you know, I probably have over-exaggerated in my scenarios quite some bit, maybe. But I guarantee you, I feel like there are elements of my story, or maybe many of my many of the elements of my story, where it resonates with some of you or many of you. You know, during those moments like this, isn't it so hard? to be that beautiful Christian that Charles Spurgeon was talking about. It is extremely difficult. But today, friends, today in Psalm 145, I want to remind you that there is a reason for us to be praising God, regardless of the good times or the bad times. You know, in Psalm 145, King David, he writes this psalm, knowing that in his life also, there were ups and downs. There were moments of sadness and sin and despair in King David's life. But how? How was he still able to praise God and write this psalm? And hopefully as we unpack this psalm, it will remind you too of reasons to praise God in the situations that God has placed individually in your lives. Today I've titled my sermon, How Great, and I've got two points. First point is reasons for praise to God, and the second points are my application. Um, But before I jump into the first point, I just want to remind people that this psalm is actually a really, really long psalm, right? And there's actually various reasons of why we should be praising God. Sorry. Praising God. But today, I just want to point out Three of them. Actually, at Parramatta, I preached this about a month ago. I gave them five reasons, but I think you guys are much better. You only need three. Don't tell Parramatta I said that. But let's just stick with three uh, reasons that we must be praising God for. So let's go straight into it. Point number one. We can praise God in our situation because God is great. God is great. You know, well, for one, King David definitely, he knew God was great. And look at the words he uses in the first two verses. He says, extol, bless, 
praise, great, unsearchable, glorious splendor, majesty, might, greatness, abundant goodness, righteousness. Anyone use any of those words to describe anyone of your friends or people around you recently? Like anyone gone to Dave and said, Dave, I extol you. Anyone gone to Brendan perhaps and said, Brendan, great are you and greatly to be praised. Right? It's weird. And it's weird because, and I apologize to Dave and Brendan, they're not that. They're not that. But you see, King David, King David, he uses these extravagant, elaborate words of praise because he is well aware that God in heaven, he's the creator of all things, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. God is in a class by himself. To him, that's who God is. God is infinite in perfection. God is infinite in worth. God is infinite in greatness. How does he know this? Because as it repeatedly says in these verses from 4 to 7, he says, I know this because he remembers, he meditates, he hears from others the mighty acts and the wondrous works and the awesome deeds of God. Is that who God is for you too today? You know, to have that heart of praise, we need to see God in this light as well. We need to see God's greatness. You know, I think when we talk about God's greatness, verse 8, I think, displays his greatness so, so well. In verse 8, King David writes this, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know, as he as he thinks about God's greatness, he's reminded of this familiar passage. This familiar passage that comes out in Exodus for the first time. He says Moses uh, Moses says to God, God, I want to see your glory. That's what he says. You know, greatness is an element of seeing God's glory. He's saying, God, I want to see how great and majestic and powerful and awesome you are. And so God, what does he do? God, in a class by himself, up here, sovereign, almighty God, comes down in the clouds, passes by Moses, the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes down and he says this to us. He says, God himself says, I am gracious. The Lord, Lord is gracious and merciful. He's saying the great king of kings, he's saying to us, but I come down here and I'm compassionate to you. He says it's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It means that he has patient love towards us. Patient love towards us. That is God's greatness displayed. Isn't that remarkable? Sovereign Grace, have you seen the greatness of God displayed in your life? 
even in the moments of hardship, where it's so hard to see the greatness of God, even in your moments of constant failure after failure, or perhaps pain after pain, when you have no desire to praise, King David here reminds us in this psalm, again and again, don't look at your current situation. Because your current situation goes like this, doesn't it? You have your good times, then you're bad. Your good times, and you're bad. But rather than looking at that, he's saying, look at his greatness. Look at who he is. Look at what he's done. Look at what he proclaims himself to be. And as we do that, our hearts will begin to change to praise God, regardless of the situation that we are placed in. Point one, praise God for his greatness. Reason for praise number two is that God, he reigns. God, he reigns. From verse 11 to 16, we see God's sovereignty and reign in display. Let's read with me verse 11 to 16. He says, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to, eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. In these verses, God's reign is displayed through all the big things, but also in the little things. You know, you see when King David speaks of God's kingdom in these verses, he's thinking big picture. God's reign over all things, over all nations, over all things. His everlasting reign. That's what he's, that's what he's trying to say. Because you see, if you think about it, right? If you think about the most powerful people in the world, I don't know, who's the most powerful person? You choose one. But let's just say for for this illustration, President Biden, right? Let's just say it's him. But whoever that person may be, these powerful people of the world, they are limited. They have limited reign, don't they? They have limited control over their people. They have limited wealth. But God, in his kingdom, he reigns over all angels. He reigns over all men. He reigns over all demons. He has wealth on land, in sea, and in the air. And all things are in the palm of his hands. That's God. That's his reign over the big things. Not only that, Not only is God infinite, not only does he have control over all things and he's not limited, he's not dependent on anything either. You know, President Biden, he needs his military, doesn't he? He needs his advisors, he needs his sponsors, he needs his senators to back him up. He even needs his own people to pay taxes. He needs commodity from other nations. He's dependent on things. These powerful rulers are still dependent, but God... He doesn't. His kingdom conquers and governs all all of them. He is subject to none because he needs nobody's help or assistance. In a moment, he can bring nothing into more than anything you can ever fathom. 
That's God's kingdom. And that kingdom, isn't it worth praising and acknowledging? God's reign is also, I said, the big things, but the little things. In verse 14 to 16, King David reminds us of the little things, like ourselves. You know, our insufficiencies. Because we're, we're prone to stumble and fall, aren't we? We cannot sustain ourselves. But in these moments, God says that when we can't, he will uphold us, he says. The very breath that we breathe right now, in this very moment, is not because I have the ability to do that, but it's God upholding every single breath that we breathe. God is doing that. Not only that, we need the provision of daily bread, don't we? And God promises us through this text that in due season, he will provide all things that we need. Friends, he reigns over the little things, the little things that are going on in your individual lives. That's who God is. But above all that God provides, above all the big things and the little things that we spoke about that he provides, I think verse 16 is the greatest provision of all. It says, you open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. What is it, sovereign grace? What is it that can only satisfy us every day? What is it? What is it that we need each day and can't live without? What is it for you? Is it food? Is it wealth? Is it fame? Is it health? Is it friendship? What is it that we need? What is it that King David is reminding us, which God provides with his open hands? Well, throughout the whole psalm, who is he pointing to? He's pointing to God. God himself is what we need. God himself is the primary need of our lives. So friends, as we think about our lives and how he reigns over the big things and the small things, how can we praise God? We praise him because of what God gives to us, the daily bread, the little things in life. We praise him because of what gives what he gives to us. But our greatest praise will come because of who God is to us. We will praise him for who he is. And he is our greatest need. So number one, reasons for praise. Praise him because he is great. Number two, Praise him because he reigns over our lives. Reason number three, praise God because he saves. God saves. Read verse 17 to 20 with me. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. It says the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. What does it mean that the Lord is righteous and kind towards us? 
you know, towards us, all of us sitting here, who have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 23, 3.23. To all of us where it says, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. The righteousness and kindness of God would mean that we must be condemned by him. Is that me? Condemned by him. It's right that the wrath of God be poured unto us. That's the righteous thing for God to do. And that's the kind thing for God to do. But friends, we know that that is not what happens. God in his great love for us. God in Christ, he substituted himself for us sinners. He bore my death, died for me, set me free. In the same way, he bore your death. He bore your sins, died your death and set you free. That is the heart of the cross of Christ. God's righteousness appoints to Christ. Romans 3.26 says this, what Christ did on the cross, it was to show God's righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Friends, isn't that alone the greatest reason for us to be praising God right now? He's saving grace, knowing that he hears our cry and helps us and saves us. Knowing the depths of our sinful hearts. Yet for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, he says, will be saved. We are redeemed from the pits and crowned with Christ's righteousness. And perhaps you're here today hearing this message, wondering, who is this Jesus? How is it that the people sitting around me find the heart to praise this Jesus? Well, this Jesus can be for you too. This truth can be for you too. The saving grace are for those who call upon the name of the Lord. To all those who place themselves beneath the cross. To those who know their sinful state and know that they are in need of a saviour. To those who call out to Jesus and say, Lord, my heart is failing. I'm falling. I'm bowed down. Can you uphold me? For those who call upon the Lord and say, I'm weak, Lord. Can you strengthen me? For those who call on him and say, Lord, I'm lost. Can you find me and guide me? For those who call on the Lord and say, Lord, I am full of sin. Deliver me and save me. From my sinful state. To those who call upon him. And trust in his truth. He promises. He promises to save them. This is the gospel. The greatest news for us all. And that leads us. That leads us alone. To praise God. And so friends. Praise God for his greatness. Praise God for he reigns over our lives. And praise God for he saves. As for King David though, how was he able to write all this? 
Perhaps he was reminded of God's greatness. You know, perhaps it was that moment when he stepped out in battle against that fight with Goliath, a Philistine soldier. Goliath, they say, he was about three and a half meters tall. Is that, that's like close to two of Brendan? No, three? (laughs) Something like that. He was three and a half meters tall. He was ready for battle. He had experience in battle. But King David, he knew who God was. He knew he was great. And so King David, before the battle, he approaches Goliath. And I think only someone who knows how great God is can say this. He says to King, uh, he says to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Wow. Wow. And he's reminded of that moment, perhaps. And he's able to write in this psalm, God, you are great and greatly to be praised. Or perhaps he continues to write this psalm and he's reminded of God's reign over the big things and the small things. And he he remembers the hard-fought battles, the bloodshed battles against large kingdoms the victories that he had against the neighboring nations that were attacking Israel. And he's reminded, God, you reign over the big things. You were reigning over our nation and you were in control of all of that. And so he praises God for his reign over the big things. But also he praises God for the reign over the little things, perhaps in his own life. Perhaps he's reminded of the 13 years or so that he was on the run from King Saul hiding in caves, wondering what he will eat, wondering who will come and attack him. But he's reminded, perhaps, of the little things that God provides for him, that God was providing for him through those moments. And so, as he writes this psalm down, he's able to praise God for his kingdom. Or perhaps he's reminded as he writes this of the time he was on the rooftop of his palace, when below he saw a beautiful woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. She was married to a man named Uriah. King David sees her and inquires of her, eventually brings her into his room while her husband Uriah is in battle. He eventually lays with her. She becomes pregnant. And to cover the whole mess, King David calls Uriah to the front lines of the battle where he dies. King David was sexually immoral. Perhaps you could call him a murderer. And the baby that was born through Bathsheba eventually dies. And he again, in that moment, perhaps he's reminded again that God forgives sins. That God saved him. That God redeemed him and cleansed him righteous through the saving that was to come through Jesus Christ. King David, as he remembers all these things, which weren't always highlights, there were lowlights of his life, his response is, I'm still going to set my eyes on the Lord. I'm setting my gaze on God. Friends, like King David, remember, Remember that God is great in your life. Remember that God reigns in your life. Remember that God saved you in your life. 
And as you do, praise him for it. Praise him for it. As I've said all this, perhaps many of us know all this already. I know God's great. I know God reigns. I know all of this. In fact, I've known this for a long time. But when it actually does come to the crunch, when I do encounter hardships, when I've got screaming babies, when I've got chronic illness, when I have sleepless nights, when I have unreasonable bosses, when I have personal conflicts, when I have unfulfilled hopes or broken promises, it's still hard. It's still hard. Can I be bold enough to say this? And I say this to myself as I say this to you. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps we're prone to pressure ourselves. You know, we have high expectations of what praise needs to look like. We think praise always needs to be happy and clappy and joyful and jumping and singing loudly. But friends, this is not always true. Yes, there are happy and clappy and joyful praise. Definitely there is. But I want us to know that there is also heartfelt praise born from hardships. You know, our our lives aren't always joyful. It always won't be happy and clappy. Perhaps you're going through a season like that right now. But even in those moments, even in those difficulties that you're going through right now, it's still, it's still lifting up our hands, but crying. It's still lifting up our hands, but on our knees. It's still lifting up our hands in surrender and trust, remembering still God is faithful. To give your heart space that in the weak times, in the questioning times, in the doubting times of your lives, in the hurting times of your lives, yet still declaring his character. Lord, you are great. I'm struggling, but I know you reign. Lord, this is difficult for me, but you saved me. And in the most difficult times, You praise him because he is worthy to be praised. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So how can we practically do this? My second point, going into the practicals, I want to give us three points that you might consider applying in your lives when it comes to praising God. Here's the first one. Make a personal commitment. Make a personal commitment. You know, as we see again in verse 1 to 2, King David makes a very personal commitment here. He says, I will extol you. He says, my God and King, I will bless you and praise your name. It's personal, right? Yet at the same time, there's commitment in here. He says, I will praise you. I will extol you. I will meditate. I will Declare it. It's a personal commitment to himself. For King David, praising God, it's not conditional. It's not based on the mood. It's not based on the setting, the atmosphere, or the circumstances in. Because as our mood changes, 
what he's reminded of at least is that God, he never changes. He remains faithful to his promises and his character. Friends, make a personal commitment. And the amazing thing about King David's personal commitment is this. It doesn't have an expiry date. Verse 2, it says, forever and ever. You know what forever and ever means? I think forever and ever means, yes, there is no end. But for him, it also means that, yes, I'm going to praise God, but that doesn't mean I'm also going to praise fame. I'm also going to praise food, wealth, health. No. For him, forever and ever means I praise God, but I say no to everything else. I forbid everything else. Only God is a class by himself. Only God I will praise. That's his personal commitment. Make a personal commitment to praise him. Practical application number two is meditate on the word. Meditate on the word. Verse five, it says, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will what? I will meditate, he says. You know, how are we to know the wondrous works unless we are rooted in this word deeply? How are we to keep this on top of mind unless we are frequently going back to the word of God? How are we to grow in our praise for God unless we increase our understanding of who God is? Psalm 1 talks about the blessed man, the happy man. The blessed man is not the one that chases after the things of the world, but the blessed man is the one who chases after what is in the word. He says his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, on God's law, he meditates. He meditates day and night. For him, it's about reading. For him, it's about telling himself, God is great. Look at his greatness present in here. Look at how he reigns in this area. Look at how he is sovereign. Look at how he saves. It's finding those passages. And can I say that I can't remember what these things are called, these markers. Can I encourage you to find those verses and mark them on your Bible? Because there's going to come a time when you're struggling and your morning devotions is on Leviticus and you're talking about how to build the temple. And it's going to be hard. And I'm not saying God can't work that way. He definitely can. But what I do want to encourage you is find those passages in your Bible. Mark them out so that when it is, when you're in those difficult moments and you're really struggling to praise God, you go to that passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, taste and see that the Lord is good. Whatever those verses are, mark them out. Meditate on the word. Meditate on the word. So number one, pers- make a personal commitment. Number two, meditate on the word. Pr- uh, pr- practical application number three, my last one. Teach your children. Teach your children to praise God. Now we spoke of a personal commitment, but King David also speaks of a public one. You know, verse four, he says, one generation shall commend your works to another. You know, we must be teaching our children the ways of the Lord. And I'm not just talking about parents here. I'm talking about everyone here sitting down. We need to teach our kids and we need to be discipling our younger ones. Kids work happening outside right now. That's actually a biblical mandate. 
We must be teaching our kids. But be clear, friends, not only are we called to teach them, but we're called to declare his praises to him. Let's not be people who talk to our kids about God's greatness in a dull and uninterested way. King David calls us to declare it. It means have authority in the way you teach your kids. It means have power. It means have excitement. Have enthusiasm in your tone as you teach the kids the word of God. You know, I don't know about you guys, but my kids can know straight away when it's not true. Have excitement. Pour out what the Lord has done in your own life. And may that overflow in excitement as you teach your kids. It also says in verse 7, pour forth the fame of God. You know, pouring forth means overflowing. Like, you can't contain it. There's plenty of it. It's constant. It's telling your kids over and over and over and over again. It doesn't stop on Sundays. But again, tomorrow, remind your kids again of God's words. Pour forth. Continue to teach your kids again and again and again. And I promise you, as you do that, that's also going to do wonders in your own heart. Last, verse 7 also says, Sing aloud of his righteousness. You know, knowing somewhat of Sovereign Grace Churches, singing is something we do not lack in. We are good at that. But can I encourage you? Keep going. Keep going. Sing with your kids. Have gospel-centered music playing at home. Dance and sing with your kids about the music of God. They'll love it. Sing with your kids. Southern Grace Church, Sydney, let us see to it that we praise God before our children and never make them think that our service to him is an unhappy one. Declare it. Pour forth. Sing of who God is with your children. To conclude, I want to draw us back to the quote we started off with from Charles Spurgeon. Remember, it says, Praise is the beauty of a Christian. What wings are to a bird, what fruit is to the tree, what the rose is to the thorn, that is praise to a child of God. Sovereign Grace, Sydney. Can I take this opportunity to say that you are doing that. You are doing that. Today when I sat there and we came together to worship God, full of praise, full of joy, full of declaration to who God is. Even the small moments I had while I was entering the church and the conversations that I had, you guys are all about praising God even in the conversations. As I looked around and saw people serving, your hearts were joyful in serving. Can I commend you? Can I commend you for that? Keep going. These are all evidences of your beauty as a child of God. Keep going. Keep praising. Keep looking at God because what's most true for us What's most real and most compelling, most long-lasting about your life is not the suffering and the pain that you go through every day, not the two steps forward and one step back that you're going through, not the particular sins that you're struggling with, no. 
but rather it's knowing that in the ups and the downs of our lives, God is faithful. He is constant. He is great. He reigns and he saves. That's the beauty of a child of God. And so like King David, as he ends Psalm 145, verse 21, may we also too say this as we end our sermon today. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh, let everyone sitting here, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, gracious Father, for you are so, so good. Lord, we bless your name. We praise you. And Lord, we declare your greatness. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Lord, regardless of our situation, Lord, in the highs and the lows, the difficult times and the joyful times, Lord, help us to see who you are. Help us to be satisfied in you and you alone. Thank you, Lord, that you are great. Thank you, Lord, that you reign. Thank you, Lord, that you save. And all of these things for the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, what better way to respond to Psalm 145 and be upstanding. Wherever you're at, whether you're walking through trials, there is a reason to praise our God because he's great and he's reigning. Sing with me.